Journey through Genesis, part six. Let me say a prayer and we'll jump right into it. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us tonight and challenge us and inspire us tonight. And for this, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Now, we left off last week, and we talked about how that Seth was the replacement, right? Adam and Eve had Seth after Cain had killed Abel. And that tragedy. And then Seth, they were thinking, perhaps would be the one to reverse the curse. But alas, he grew up, and not so much happened as far as reversing the curse. And so Seth had a son and named him Enosh, which means, anybody remember? Death doomed. Little baby death doomed. That's what they named him. And the idea is this. They began to realize we're in this for a long time. We're doomed. We're going to have to work by the sweat of our brow. We're going to have trouble in our marriages and relationships. Childbirth is going to be tough. Uh, just It's difficult. And the next part of that last verse there that we looked at said, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so the idea is this. They were looking, Lord, send a Savior. They're building altars. They're offering sacrifices. And they're calling on the name of the Lord. Send a Savior. Send the seed of the woman to reverse the curse. That was the idea. They're desperate for that. And so that was the end of Genesis 4. So in Genesis 5, let's take a look at verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. Guzik says there's good reason to believe this is the end of Adam's direct account, which was preserved and passed down to Moses, who acted as an editor. The history of the heavens and the earth comprises the things regarding creation that no man witnessed but was given by revelation to either Adam or Moses. And that ended in Genesis 2-4. And from there to this point is the account or the record of Adam. Now here's something interesting also. These cats are living a long time. Lifespans. One writer has estimated that if Adam during his lifetime saw only half the children he could have fathered grow up, and if only half of those got married, and if only half of those who got married had children, then even at these conservative rates, Adam would have seen more than a million, if I say a million, of his own descendants. Well, that's the power of exponential growth. <laughs> and living forever, you know, like thousand years so it's interesting let's pick it up at verse 3 and Adam lived 130 years and begot a son notice the wording here in his own likeness after his image so it's the same wording that's used when it's referring to Adam being born of God and named him Seth so it's kind of a recap here after he begot Seth the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters We don't have all those names, but he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 100 years, 
uh, 105 years and begat Enosh, death doomed. And he begot Enosh. After he begat Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. But we knew he was going to die because why? He was doomed to die. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahaliel. After he begot Mahaliel, Canaan lived another 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahaliel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahaliel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years and he died. Jared, 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. This is where it gets interesting. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. All the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived seven, uh, Methuselah, yeah, 708, these crazy numbers, 82 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible. That's why people say he was as old as Methuselah. Well, nobody's been as old as Methuselah except Methuselah. 969 years. Now notice this. Enoch, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Walking with God, we looked at this, introduced this last time, means to walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. And we know that faith comes from the Word of God. Enoch walked in the only Word that he had, but he walked faithful in that Word. Faith came from that Word. What was that Word? The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. The way you approach God, it's not like it was in the garden where he walked in the cool of the day, spontaneous, autonomous. The way it works now is you take stones, you put one stone on top of another, you build an altar, you take a lamb, you slice that lamb's throat, you offer that as a sacrifice, and you hope to God that he hears what you have to say. You look to him to save you. Very limited revelation, but that's the word that Enoch walked in. He walked by faith and not by sight. Hebrews 11, 5 through 6 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For be before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And the next verse, verse 6, but without faith, 
It is impossible to please God. If you want to please God, you have to walk in the Word. And to walk in the Word is to walk in faith. And I might say this because I, I got my hair cut yesterday. And it's sneaky the way it works nowadays. I, there's, there's a conspiracy in haircutting places. I've learned this. There was a day I tried to be sneaky about I'm a pastor and all that stuff. Not so much anymore. But there was a day where I enjoyed the anonymity. You know, I didn't have that that scarlet letter, you know, like he's he's a preacher and that and all that goes along with that. I don't I don't care, but uh there was a day I enjoyed the anonymity. And and I remember y'all remember L uh years ago. Uh, I went down here to Sports Clips, and Elle cut my hair. She did a great job, and uh, I went back, and she cut it several times. And uh, later, uh, she she told me, she said, hey, I, she was here at LifePoint, and I said something about anonymity as a preacher. And she said, oh, well, you know everybody at Sports Clips knows you're a pastor. I said, no, I had no idea. She said, oh, yeah, they all know you're a preacher. I said, how did they know? I didn't say anything, and I never got a straight answer. I don't know how they knew, but they knew I was a pastor, and they knew where I pastored. They all knew it. Well, fast forward yesterday, I'm getting my hair cut right over here at, uh, what is that, Supercuts, right by Izzo's. I'm getting my hair cut, and, and the lady, uh, I, I don't know her, she cuts my hair, and she said, now, you're a, you're a pastor. You're a pastor right over there at LifePoint, don't you? I said, what? How did you know this? this? She's like, well, this other haircut lady told me that you pastored that church. Y'all just had your VBS, didn't you? And so we had this big old conversation about VBS. I'm like, yeah, we got back to school Sunday, this Sunday. It's going to be huge, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so uh, we're having this big conversation. And why am I telling you this story? Wow, I've been, it's, it's LJ, it's, it's Lyra Jane. I'm, I've, I've lost myself in my own story. Uh, uh, I've got this wa- walking in the Word, wa- and somehow that related to walking in the Word. This is on a podcast. This Sherry, I've lost my mind. That's normal. That's right, right, right. I, I enjoyed the anonymity. Wow. It'll come back to me. Unbelievable. Walking in the Word, walking by faith. Oh, I know it. Thank you. I feel my help. (laughs) She asked me what (coughs) what kind of church is it? Is it Baptist? And I said, well, you know, we believe in baptism. I said, but we're Pentecostal. I got a Pentecostal background. That's, that's the flavor for sure. And she said, uh, she said, oh, cool, you know, so we talked about that a little bit. And as Pentecostals, as spirit-filled people, a lot of times we think walking in the Word is like, you know, dry and walking in the spirit. That's what we do. And we're like, oh, spiritual and whatnot. 
And I've come to realize, Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And, and really, to walk in the spirit is to walk in the word. And to walk in the word is to walk in the spirit. They're, they're not opposites. It's not, they're not juxtaposed. It's not like, oh, he's the spiritual person and he's the word person. And we take that from scriptures and say, like, the, 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 the letter killeth. And the Spirit gives life. That's talking about Old Testament law and and the rote and ritual of the law versus the life in the Spirit, which is not just speaking in tongues, but it's the truth that includes speaking in tongues. Amen? So it's not like you have to choose, do I walk in the Word or, or do I become a Pentecostal? No. To walk in the words, to walk in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, to walk in the word. And so when we look at Enoch, Enoch walked in the word, walked by faith. And it was the faith that was revealed from the word that was for his period of time. And I could, I could camp there for a minute because, because he was walking in the only word he had. And, and we have, here on the other side of Calvary, we got a greater covenant with greater promises. The lamb has been slain. I know he was slain before the foundation of the world, but he has in this time-space continuum, he has been slain 2,000 years ago. And the day of Pentecost is fully coming. We live in an era where not only can the Holy Spirit move on us, but can indwell us. We can be born again, brothers and sisters. That's something Enoch could not experience. So he was walking in the word that he had. We walk in the word that we have. It's been more fully revealed. And then, this is interesting, walking with God means walking in agreement with God. Amos 3, 3 Ask the question, can two walk together unless they are agreed? The implied answer is no. So Enoch, when it says he walked in the word, it means that Enoch aligned himself and agreed with the word. He didn't get the word to try to agree with him. He bowed the knee and agreed with the word. Enoch walked in the Word. Enoch agreed with the Word. Listen to this. Quote, God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. That is not Bible. That is a poem, a hymn, written by William Cowper, who lived from 1731 to 1800. It's loosely based, and it's where we quoted a scripture all the time, from Isaiah 55. Verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Listen to this. Let the wicked man, let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. 
Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. These are scriptures referring to the thoughts and the ways and the words of God. And what am I saying? I'm saying this. Enoch brought himself into agreement with the Word. That's what walking in the Word is about. And it's the same here. We will say, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the way his thoughts are and his ways are. His ways are not our ways. But did you notice those first verses? Let the wicked man forsake his ways and the unrighteous his thoughts. Because your thoughts are not my thoughts, your ways are not my ways. The idea is this, make his thoughts your thoughts. Make his ways your ways. Cain, don't offer the pumpkin and the squash as a sacrifice. Cain, offer the lamb. That's my ways. That's my thoughts. Agree with me. Walk with me. Walk in faith. And the same challenge comes to us. We have to align ourselves Listen, not with a denomination, not with me, not with a local church, not with the cool church in town, not with the old line, main line denomination church. We have to line ourselves up with the Word of God. It's on us. It is our responsibility to line up with the Word. You want to walk in the Word? It's your responsibility. It's on you. And so it seems as if Enoch really got serious about his walk with God after the birth of Methuselah. We've talked about this before. Methuselah means when he is dead, judgment will come. When he's gone, judgment will come. And we know that the flood came right after Methuselah died. He died right before the flood. And it's such a beautiful testimony of the grace of God. He would... He would put the, the, the man with the name, when he's gone, judgment will come. He would make him live the longest because his mercy is everlasting, right? He, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. And so the idea was he was looking. Listen to what Jude says. Jude's only one chapter, Jude 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are godly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In other words, there were there was a lot of ungodliness. And Methuselah's long life was revealing God was patient. 
and long-suffering. Listen to this. Let's go to verses 28 through 31 in Genesis 5. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. Let me, let me say this first of all. Enoch had Methuselah and got serious about his walk with God. He named him that name. When he's dead, judgment will come. Apparently understanding that there was a judgment day coming. And so he began to walk closer and closer to the Lord. And this passage of Jude is really speaking of the coming of the Lord. So somehow Enoch got an understanding that one day God will judge and God will come back. And, and so it was, it's a, Enoch was a powerful dude. And that's why the Lord, I think, said, come on up. I want, gave him his own personal rapture. I want to I spend some time with you. Now, verses 28 through 31. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. So this idea of this one will comfort us concerning the work and toil of our hands, it's, it's the idea of reversing the curse. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years, had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died, and Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, let's go to Genesis 6. Are you with me? It's good, it's good to see you, Miss Cynthia, back from your journeys and travels and Great to have Miss Sherry in the house tonight, always. Uh, glad you're back for a little bit at least. And uh, Genesis 6. Now, this is some of the most controversial scriptures in the entire Bible right here. We are about to hit turbulent waters right here. Whew. Fasten your seatbelt. Now, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Well, this is like the stuff. Ancient aliens, science fiction, man, like people have exploited these verses. They have. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth. This is fascinating. During these days, there was exponential population growth. And you have these long lifespans, millions and millions and millions. I read after some writers today that said some estimates of the population of the earth because of the long lifespans, could have been as big as it is now back then. Drastic. Billions. And this idea of the intermarriage, this problem of the sons of God and the daughters of men. Now, some have seen the daughters of men being human women and believe that the sons of God were 
the descendants of the godly line of Seth. And so the godly lineage of Seth would go and marry the uh, ungodly lineage of Cain. And so you have the intermarriage of the ungodly and the godly, and that is seen as, um, you know, a problem. Are you with me? But then the other side of that is um, the idea of angels, fallen angels, uh, having relationships with human women. And so you have these different points of view. I wouldn't cross the street to argue it with anybody. That's all right. No problem. <laughs> I wouldn't cross the street to argue it with anybody. Uh, but it is interesting to me because the problem is you have these offspring that, uh, and you have this corruption that breaks out in the human race that is so bad that God is going to send a flood and kill everybody on the face of the earth except for Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives. And so, to me, that doesn't sound like Seth's descendants and Cain's descendants messing things up. There seems to be a supernatural element involved here. And lest we forget, there is, uh, this is a planet infested by fallen angels and demon spirits. It was back then, it is now. Interesting stuff. They've been here a long time. They were there back then. Demons don't have children, per se. They're not reproducing. There's as many demon spirits, as many fallen angels as there ever have been. There's no more, no less now. But they were having, I don't know, if that was the case, if what some say, then you would have these hybrids, these men of renown, whatever, that would have been born in those days. Here's the bottom line. Regardless of the theory, regardless of what really happened, the problem was in the offspring. There was a corruption in the offspring. And brothers and sisters, remember, the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent. And it looks as if the devil had an alternative. He wanted to corrupt that process to make it to where, just like he had Cain kill Abel, it disqualified them both. Then if there was a Mary who had some kind of corruption, that she couldn't have the seed of the woman that would bruise the head of the serpent. It's, again, the devil trying to thwart the plan of God, which goes back to that second psalm. I used to not understand it at all. Why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations try to stop the Christ? Why did the devil try to stop the seed of the woman from being born? He tried and he tried and he tried. And this is one of the times that he tried to stop Jesus from coming into the earth to try to mess up the chain, not knowing when, but knowing somehow one of these girls is going to have the Christ that will be my undoing. And so he's trying to mess up that system. And God is so faithful and a step ahead. Now, 
I preached a series uh, years ago uh, on uh, difficult questions in the Bible. And one of the difficult questions is, it went like this. God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. You've heard that in church, you know. God is good all the time. Congregation like, all the time God is good. Woo, God's good. Serve a good God. Woo. Even though he killed 34 million people in the Bible, at least. In the flood, it could have been billions. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Just ask Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. The same ones that carted out your husband, they're going to cart you out, Sapphira. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. We're going to take an offering up now. How can God be good all the time? And he's like, he killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night with one angel. Angel had an assignment. The Lord says, angel, Michael, take your sword. Go kill 185,000 Assyrians tonight. Next morning, 185,000 Assyrians gone. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Woo! Oh, I feel my help. Egypt, firstborn. Death angel. Death angel. Good angel. God angel. Death angel. Hey, death. Come here. Got an assignment for you. Egypt, firstborn. Everywhere you don't see the blood. Wipe them out. Kill them. Joshua. Hey, Joshua. Take Jericho when you take that city. Oh, the walls are going to fall. Joshua generation. Woo. Run over those walls. Kill every man, woman, child, animal. God is good. Like it gets hard to say, right? God is good. Kill them. Achan, well, I took a little gold, took a little silver, took a Babylonian garment. Take he, take him, his wife, his children, his animals, his stuff, to the valley of Achor, stone them to death, burn everything they have. God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. I'm going to tell you something. God is good. He's so good that he will suffer the collateral damage to get the ultimate good into the earth. The seed of the woman, brothers and sisters, was the only hope for humanity. That was it. Because of the fall, every son and daughter of Adam and Eve was going to hell, including Adam and Eve except for the seed of the woman coming into the earth and making a way where there was no way. And the devil was trying to stop that process. And if you got in his way, the Lord would run right over you to get his will accomplished. And so it is a serious thing. It's a, God is holy, and his plan is holy. 
God wasn't afraid, as we're going to get into it, are you with me? God wasn't afraid of homosexuality at Sodom. It's not like he was freaking out like, oh, disgusting. Fire and brimstone. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he was appalled, jaw dropped, shake my head like, oh, we're going to have to get rid of them. That's that's not what it was. Now, that's a sin. I still believe that. I feel like a dinosaur sometimes because I stand with the book. You, you can't get that out of the book. There are many that are trying. They're taking out their razor blade, and they're cutting those things out and redefining words and doing all kind of calisthenics and, and theological gymnastics to get around those. But it's still a sin. It's not the only sin. There's sin in this room, right? Of all stripes, all kinds. But God wasn't afraid of Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin in those cities. The problem was that culture at the time was a threat to Abraham. Abraham was on assignment. He had to be on Mount Moriah. He had to raise a knife and start to come down on Isaac, the son of promise. And and, and the Lord had to stop him and, and have a substitute waiting in the in the bushes back here so he could offer that sacrifice so on the same mountain range God 2000 years later could offer his son there was a plan is what i'm saying there was a plan in the making and that was a threat to that plan being accomplished and they had to go the threat had to be eliminated it was bad but it wouldn't have it wasn't as bad as what would have been had they not been taken care of. Are you with me? It's the same thing. It's the same thing with Saul of Tarsus. Killing the church at the beginning. It was just getting started. Momentum was huge. And Saul is a madman going crazy, persecuting Christians. And when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, he had two choices. Bend the knee or go to hell right now. And he, he bowed. Who are you, Lord? <laughs> I surrender. I surrender all. I surrender all. You know, just, just immediate surrender. Because he was a threat. He had to be stopped. Just like Ananias and Sapphira. So what's, what's the point? What am I saying? I'm saying that the flood, the flood represented a solution to a problem. The problem was a threat. Like, we want God to get things done. God's going to get things done. But he'll run right over you to get his purpose accomplished. That's why it's so important to line up with his ways and his purposes. I want to be in alignment. You know when you're going down the road, you're a kid, and you're like, hey, have your hand out the window, and you're doing the, I've heard stories all my life about, you know, the kid that hit a sign, you know, and his arm got knocked off or something. Like, and I would always think about that. I would, I would think, like, oh, I don't want to hit a sign. You know, this is fun. What if I hit a sign or something? 
And uh, I don't want to do that, Ray. I don't want to hit that sign. But if, if, if you're not streamlined, you know, you're on a roller coaster, keep all your hands, you know, keep your hands in the, in the car and all this kind of stuff. The idea is it's important that we streamline because God's moving and he's going to get his purpose accomplished. And I want to be on the car at the end of the ride. You know what I mean? I want to go to the other side. And so it's important that we streamline, that we line up. And so whatever was going on in Genesis 6, be it the, uh, you know, Seth and Cain descendants or be it uh, fallen angels, demon spirits, something like that. I will tell you this, regardless of what it was, I'll tell you this, it was, this is powerful. I'm closing with this, and we're going to pray over these cloths for students at Santa Mall. But here's the deal. It was, the threat was demonically, satanically inspired. It was real. This was, this was a fight, and the devil was pulling out all the stops. And so you had spiritual entities, spiritual intelligences. You had beings, spiritual beings at the time of the flood that were trying to stop God's plan. And they failed. God killed all the inhabitants of the earth except for eight. And the spiritual beings that were responsible were taken and put in prison, a place of darkness. Peter, the apostle that preached Acts 2.38, that same guy preached about these spiritual beings that were held captive from the time of the flood. And we know that Jesus, from his teaching, from Peter's the apostolic teaching, Jesus, when he died, went and paid a visit to those spirits. And the Bible says he preached to them in their captivity. And when I was a kid, I used to try to figure that, like, did he give an altar call? You know, did he say every head bowed and every eye closed? We got other musicians come. Play softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Softly and, you know, and gives an altar call. You know. But the, the, the word that's used for he preached is, is not a word that is used for proclaim. Like we proclaim the gospel. The same wording was preach the gospel for a response. And I'm closing with this. But the wording is, he went and declared. He declared. He did not preach for a response. He went to say something without requiring a response. And you know what it was? He was saying, you failed. And I came in person to introduce myself to you. You thought you would corrupt the human gene pool. and You would corrupt the master plan that I had from the foundation of the earth. But I have come to introduce myself to you. Let me introduce myself to you. I am Jesus, the Christ, the last Adam, the curse reverser. You tried to stop me from coming, but you failed. Nanny, nanny, boo-boo. 
you couldn't stop me then. You can't stop me now. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, he said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, listen, hell can come against us, but hell can't prevail in the end. The purposes and plans of God, you line up with them, baby. It may seem like a dark time, but my Jesus knows how to win in the end when it really counts. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. Amen? Stand with me right now. He went and preached to those captives in prison, and he said, I am victorious over death, hell, and the grave. You tried to stop me, you couldn't stop me. I'm telling you, we're part of a kingdom that is everlasting. I'm telling you, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. The increase of His government and kingdom, there shall be no end. This thing goes on and on and on and on. It's big. It's huge. We've tapped into something ancient, brothers and sisters, this is not North America. This is not just life point. This is not denominations and churches. We know it. This is the epic story of the redemption and the salvation of the sons and daughters of Adam. Amen. That's pretty big, right? It's pretty deep. But what a great God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What does that mean to you? I'm telling you, it means that if God's for you, who could be against you? What that means is in your practical everyday life, you're not a victim. You're victorious. You're a victor. He causes you always to triumph in Christ Jesus. It's, it's a new day. The devil lost. He's been defeated. The enemy's under my feet. Gave all authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Now you go in my name. I got the name of Jesus, full of power, full of authority. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, wall to wall on the inside, man. The devil is terrified of you. He's terrified of the church. He's terrified of a unified church. He's terrified of brothers and sisters aligned with the Word of God. Amen.